0: Welcome to the Crystals, Clits and Climate podcast where we explore the intersections of spirituality, sexuality and sustainability. My name's Hannah Pang and we have a short and sweet special episode for you all today. It's a special episode because we actually weren't sure what would feel needed this week. We weren't sure how the election was going to go, how everyone would be feeling, what our community Might need in this moment in time. I think we were, at least I was preparing for the worst. So when news came out this weekend that Biden got elected with Kamala Harris, I feel like I didn't really know how to react to it. I wasn't preparing myself to feel excited. But, anyways, here we are. So, what we are sharing with you today is a story that feels, yeah, quite relevant to this moment. Good reminders for us to have. Of mind amidst the excitement. So it's the story of Sati and Shiva, and it's told by Skylar Brown, who has been on the podcast a few times so far, um, and hopefully she'll come back on again at some point in time. For anyone who hadn't listened to any of Skylar's episodes before, Skylar is an amazing human. She's also a corporate shaman. She helps bring the divine feminine into workspaces. She's an avid student and studier of the feminine and the masculine energies and how to really honor the divine feminine and masculine in both men and women or of any gender, and how the feminine and masculine is really just the core essence of everything in in our world, in our universe. So I'm really honored to to be sharing this story as as Skylar tells it, of a time when the world was on fire and was in disarray. And it's really a tale of how do we approach situations like this? How do we solve, what do we do when the world is on fire? And it talks about the importance of returning to our bodies, being really present on this planet in this lifetime, and how can we honor the feminine, the great mother, and what can happen and what does happen when we disrespect her or forget about her, which just feels really top of mind at the moment. And it's really about how can we bring together the divine feminine and the divine masculine together in harmony and really help foster the next golden age that is just filled with abundance and love and joy and and our humanity and our empathy and the importance of not forgetting ourselves and honoring the feminine and masculine within each of us I just felt like being able to share this story now just felt right (laughs) given given what's happening in the world as we kind of enter this next this next phase altogether. so hopefully it's gives you some joy gives you some inspiration of how to potentially start start thinking about what's happening in the moment and what reminders that we need as we enter this new phase because obviously it's not all rainbows and butterflies. There's a lot of work to be done still. So just some thoughts on, on how we could discuss approaching it. For our listeners who have been with us over the past few months or even right since the beginning of the podcast just wanted to to say thank you for for supporting us this whole way. If you feel called please leave us a rating, give us a review, subscribe if you haven't already and if you feel compelled share share us with a friend. It's super super helpful for us and we really appreciate it. Without further ado on to the story of Sati and Shiva with Skylar Brown.
1: This is the story of Sati and Shiva. This is a very old story, long, long, long time ago, way back in the time before recorded history. And Sati is an emanation of the great mother. So she's an incarnation in a way of this primordial Shakti energy, the energy of the feminine that Is life itself. It's the pulse of life. It's the movement of life. And so Sati, as an emanation of Shakti, is life itself. She is the great feminine. And she exists in the celestial realms. And her consort or lover, also kind of her other half, is Shiva. And if you're familiar with the iconography, Shiva is the great yogi, ascetic. He lives in the Himalayan mountains. He's also known as the destroyer. Yeah, he's he's really a wild dude. He's a wild being. So, the story is that Shiva as the destroyer, he's a really important part of maintaining the cosmic order and he's prone to go into these bouts of deep meditation. You you find this in many stories about Shiva that he gets sometimes so caught up in his meditation that he forgets to do his duties. In this story, the action starts because Shiva, who represents the great masculine, has gone into a meditative trance. He's such a profound yogi that he'll sometimes lose himself. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He loses all bodily functions. He just meditates. And this is problematic when it happens because Shiva's the destroyer. He's one of the, the trinity of gods who keep the world going, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And Shiva's the, the destroyer. And when he's neglecting his cosmic duties, the world goes out of balance. And so This is what's happening. Shiva is deep in meditation and can't be roused. He's unmovable like a mountain himself. And so Brahma and Vishnu and the other lesser deities get together and have a conference as the world is burning and in tumult. And I can just hear them chattering and proposing ideas and debating what the best course of action is. And Eventually, it's decided that the only way to bring Shiva back to his earthly duties is to introduce his consort, to bring Sati forward and to have Sati agree to incarnate and shake Shiva from his ascetic reverie and sort of bring him back into his body, actually, and back into life. So the gods call on Sati, and they ask her and beg her and honor her with gifts and say, please, 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 you've got to come and help us. We need you to come incarnate and be with your divine consort, Shiva. Bring him back to life. So she assesses the situation, and she agrees to do this on one condition. And the condition is that she'll come to earth, but If there is a moment, a momentary lapse, where it is forgotten who she is in reality as the divine feminine and the great mother, she will immediately disappear. That she wants to be honored for as long as she's on earth. And if there's a breach of the arrangement or the agreement, she'll go. So all the gods agree that no problem, of course, of course, we revere you. You're the great mother. How could anyone ever forget? And so she comes to Earth, she's born, she incarnates as the daughter of a king called Daksha. And Daksha adores her and gives her a royal upbringing. And she has a wonderful childhood and eventually becomes a teenager and a young woman. And she falls deeply in love with Shiva and Shiva falls deeply in love with her, as is meant to happen. They are in the subtle realm lovers already. So This is just a reuniting of their beings. And so Sati and Shiva become consorts, lovers. And really what that is, is a symbolic experience of the union of the masculine and feminine. And so that's what Sati and Shiva represent. And so they create this union and there's harmony on the planet, a golden age in culture and happiness in the world, like Garden of Eden. It's just a marvelous time when Sati and Shiva are happily lovers and they spend eons and eons making love all over the world in the most beautiful places in caves and mountaintops and in the forest. And they're just so, so happy and abundant and the world is prosperous and fertile. And eventually, of course, there's trouble in paradise. Daksha, the king, has Succumbed to his humanness and has begun to lust for power. And he's been getting more powerful and he begins to forget his part of the deal. I mean, in a sense, you can read this as what happens to the ego, you know, what happens to mankind when they begin to forget themselves. And this is what's happening to Daksha. And he becomes very powerful in the worldly sense. And he starts to become annoyed with his daughter and her consort. He calls for a giant fire ceremony, a a spiritual or sacred ritual, and he invites absolutely everyone. He invites all the gods, all the demigods, all the angels, the dragons, the fairies, the beings from subtle realms, otherworldly beings, and he neglects to invite Sati and Shiva. And the slight is intentional. He's a little embarrassed. It's said in some tellings of the story of Shiva's ascetic yogic ways. He's you know doesn't have great manners. He likes to sleep outside. He really has no concern for culture, and he's embarrassing at court. Unruly, wild, ascetic yogi ways, and annoyed with his daughter and Shiva, and their disdain for court and their disdain for culture and manners. And he really just kind of forgets himself and his place. And so he doesn't invite them to the ceremony. And Sati finds out and she is absolutely devastated and enraged. And she's enraged because it's a slight to her husband, Shiva. And also, and maybe more importantly, it's a slight to her. And it indicates to her that the king as a representative of worldly culture, and therefore all worldly culture has forgotten who she is. So she does as she promised, and she sits in meditations, she summons her inner fire, yogic fire, and she burns herself up. She basically departs her body, goes back to her celestial form, and leaves the lifeless body behind. Shiva finds the body and goes mad. He is destroyed, devastated, and he begins to dance his terrible dance across the face of the world, and hurricanes, and earthquakes, and tornadoes, and thunderstorms, and the oceans dry up. I mean, the, the world is really torn to bits as the lover holds the lifeless body of his divine feminine consort, and eventually the gods have to do something again. And so they decide if they can eliminate or rid him of her body, perhaps he'll forget about her. Of course, he never forgets. But what they decide to do is send down Vishnu, who cuts the body into, I think it's 52 pieces, and distributes those pieces around the earth. And those pieces become Places where even when the divine feminine seems to have departed from the culture and from the planet, she still exists in these sacred grottos and these sacred uh, groves and meadows. And so, yeah, you know, there's a message in there that even when it seems like the feminine has departed, she's still with us. There are still places and small parts of her in our psyche or in the terrain um, that we walk. That's basically the story. It kind of ends there, but the beauty in it is for me, this idea that the divine feminine is her own, a woman unto herself, really, you know, she sets the conditions for being born into the world. And she also takes herself out the minute she doesn't feel honored. The minute she feels that she's been forgotten or that mankind has forgotten who she is in reality, she disappears or retreats. I love that aspect of the story. It grants so much power to the feminine. Even her disappearance is not at the hands of the masculine. It's actually completely in her hands. And this is because the conditions for her appearance on earth are so important. She must be honored. She must be recognized. She must be revered. And that's what she insists on. And those are the conditions for her being here. There's that part. And then also the beauty of the relating with Shiva, when the masculine and feminine, which are in all of us, that we we have that divine masculine, and we have that divine feminine in us, when they are in union and when they are lovers and operating in a state of abundance. Everything is fertile and flowing and beautiful and rich and makes sense. I think that's kind of where we are now in the culture is we're trying to rediscover and re-embrace the healthy masculine that can be a fitting consort to the divine feminine. At the same time, the divine feminine is granting us so many rich opportunities to know her and honor her through, uh, through ourselves, through our women's bodies, through the bodies of people of all genders in earth, in nature herself. And so it's kind of up to us to begin to remember how to honor her properly so she can come back in and find her lover and we can enter a new golden age. I'm really pleased to be able to tell you this story. It comes from the Shakta tradition, and I originally heard the story from Sally Kempton and her Shakti meditations, which is a wonderful audio book that I highly recommend. But as a student of Vedanta and Sanskrit, I've always loved the tales, the Vedic tales and the tales of the Hindu pantheon especially the tales of the goddesses and those that are old enough, they come from a time when the goddess was still well understood and the feminine was revered in the world, understood and revered. What this story helps us see is something essential about the nature of the feminine and the conditions that she creates when she's here and the conditions we experience when she has removed herself or um, retreated. Because that is one of the important essential aspects of the feminine is that it's cyclical. And so there are dark moon times. There are times when the feminine is not present in the world and that is natural, but human beings have looked for ways to understand this phenomenon forever. So we can see a little bit of that in this story. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Crystals Clits and Climate podcast. Find us online at crystalsclitsclimate.com or on Instagram at crystals.clits.climate and make sure to rate, review and subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to us on. Music for today's episode was provided by Los Angeles-based artist Lauren Desberg. Thanks for being with us. We can't wait to be back for next episode. See you next Tuesday.